Hey everybody, welcome to our latest episode of Hella Interesting People. My name is Mike Ruby. And his name is Mike Ruby. God damn it, why can't you just cooperate? I, I, I think you should get double billing. I'm really proud of the work that you do on this show, and I take none, no pride in it myself. <laughs> okay, well I will, I will accept that flattery, but also we need to know what your name is. Your I'm Jacob name. Rubin. Jacob Rubin is that's, your name. Is that what your name is? I've, I've heard that my name is Jacob Rubin. It's, okay. That's the word on the street. I'm glad we established that. Yeah. So today we are interviewing Robert Odie Brown, who is a professional wrestling referee. Yes, an officiant for the sport. Right. Yeah. This was an interesting one. I felt not necessarily underprepared, but I felt like you and Odie were in on a joke that I wasn't in on. Yeah, I mean, wrestling is one of my favorite things in the world. Right. And, and so I'm really stoked that we did this episode. You're a huge wrestling fan. Uh -huh. I don't know much about wrestling, which is ironic because I'm the direct descendant of a legit professional wrestler. Yep. My grandfather, Bert Ruby, uh, immigrated, emigrated, immigrated, migrated from <laughs> Hungary uh, via Toronto and then wound up in Detroit and was a professional wrestler for many years in the 40s and 50s. Um, eventually, he had a heart attack in the ring and retired from professional wrestling and started, uh, he co-hosted a show called Motor City Wrestling, a TV show, mm -hmm. um, and became a wrestling promoter. Um, some of his clientele included uh, uh, midget wrestlers. Midget yeah. wrestling, like, was, I don't think he invented midget wrestling, but he was one of the forerunners in that genre. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what else to call it. That, I, think that, I think that's still the technical term. I think that's still, like, what you call, like... And, and that's still, it's still very much a thing. There's, uh, um, there's a guy who used to work for WWE. He has, he's not been employed consistently by them for a number of years. He, he wrestled, when he was there, he wrestled under the name Hornswoggle, and his character was a leprechaun. And then since leaving WWE, now he just goes by Swoggle. And he made the PWI 500 this year. PWI, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, is a magazine that puts out their list of the 500 best wrestlers in the world every year. They're okay. like their personal rankings. Usually the top few are like the, the guys that everyone, you know, for WWE or AEW or what have you. Um, but uh, they include most of the list is people on the independent scene, of course. It's 500 people. Um, and Swoggle's on there this year. He's still working. I've seen him wrestle. He's good. That's interesting. Who, do you know who number one was on the list? Number one this year was Kenny Omega, the current AEW champion. Okay. There's a lot of um, initials in terms of organizations related to wrestling. So I, I don't know. Like, I don't even know what WWE stands for. So, What's the E? Uh, the E is entertainment. The World uh, Wrestling Entertainment. It used to be WWE. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening will be like, I remember when it was WWF. And it wasn't that long ago that it was WWF. It was right. the early 2000s when they changed the name. Uh, because, <laughs> uh, they, uh, because of the World Wildlife Fund. Right, and they basically got into a legal battle, um, and Vince McMahon had to go. You know what? I'm not going to do get into this argument with an organization that's trying to save endangered species. So we'll walk away from this one, <laughs> save yeah. some face, and they've been WWE ever since. Right, and I know uh, there's quite a bit of controversy revolving uh, or involving the the WWE, which we don't really need to get into. Sure, I know a lot of people have mixed feelings on it. Um, but there's so much more, like there's so many different levels of wrestling, like within the wrestling hierarchy mm -hmm. that aren't WWE. Yeah. Well, um, th there's, there's an, a relatively new company called AEW stands for all elite wrestling, uh, which 
has started out as like the other wrestling show with a national television deal. They're on TNT. Um, and now in the last, literally in the last month or so, they've had a huge come up because they signed three former WWE guys all in quick succession. Uh, Adam Cole, Brian Danielson, or also known as Daniel Bryan when he's on, when he's working for WWE, and most importantly, CM Punk, a notorious WWE castaway who did not wrestle a single match in the seven years since they fired him, and now he's back. And Interesting. Yeah, and, and this is, I, I will say that we talked to Odie for a full hour about wrestling in September of 2021, and we don't mention CM Punk once, which is incredibly impressive because if you listen to any piece of wrestling media an hour long, they're going to talk about CM Punk. Right. Even I've heard of this guy. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm so fucking informed. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I, I know I know of CM Punk. But I like to think that this, this interview by not mentioning CM Punk makes it kind of timeless, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. I uh, I think we're getting the technical stuff down a little more. That too, yeah. Um, there was some there's some like phone farting in it, like vibration of uh, of the you know getting a text or whatever that mm-hmm. we weren't really able to edit out. But other than that, I think uh, I think the show is really starting to sound a lot better. We're getting like the volume situation, yeah, figured out. So I just I want to thank everybody that's been listening. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being part of this. Uh, and I think it's just going to get better from here. Yep. It, I, I was really pleased with this episode, technically and interview-wise. And I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So uh, strap in and enjoy our headlock of an interview <laughs> <laughs> with uh, professional wrestling referee Robert Odie Brown. Now we're recording. Recording, recording. So you're in your car right now. I'm in my car right now. I am at the Oregon Pro Wrestling School. Uh, There is training going on right now. And if I was not in my car, it would be very boom, boom, bang, 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 all of that kind of stuff every few minutes, which is, I think Jacob was saying earlier, you know, kind of appropriate, but might not be too great for your listeners' ears. So Yeah. Could be good B-roll, but not the whole time. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, so you uh, and you mentioned before we uh, start recording that your your girlfriend is training at this school. Yeah, so uh, I moved up to Salem, Oregon, and I'm kind of like in the Pacific Northwest wrestling scene now. And uh, I had actually started dating a girl who was like very interested in starting training before the pandemic happened. And then we met kind of like during the pandemic. I moved up here, and uh, I have been like taking her to a few different like you know rings and gyms and things like that trying to like get her some experience to see if she really wanted to do it and then uh ricky gibson from uh formerly four minutes of heat currently midnight heat from uh like championship wrestling from hollywood and west coast wrestling connection and all that stuff he uh has been training people up here for a number of years. So now he has his own school and uh, yeah, she's doing pretty well. We've got a good crop of students up here. There's like 15, 20 people that like uh, a bunch of good wrestling students. There's a handful of great ref students as well. And yeah, it's been a good time. Uh, So how long have you been uh, refing? Like when, what, when was the first match you refed? Uh, so the very first match that I refed was actually, um, like in somebody's backyard. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds Uh, about right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I ended up on a backyard wrestling show by accident once. Uh, a friend of mine from like punk rock shows in high school um, ran into me at a uh, an autograph signing like 10 years after I had seen him. And I'm just like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, I'm wrestling down in San Jose. Here's an address. You should totally come check it out. And I'm like, all right, screw it, whatever. Uh, and I went to the address and it was somebody's house at the end of a cul-de-sac and I went into the back and there was like no ref that was like hired for the show. The wrestlers were just trading the referee shirt after each one of their matches. <laughs> um, so yeah, I like made some joke about it and the promoter was like, you're so funny. Why don't you go ref? And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, so I did that, uh, that day and it went okay. And they asked me to keep coming back and that went for like a year and a half or so and then eventually i found a another referee who like taught me about schools and like how to get trained and you know how to become like a real professional like wrestling referee and yeah that was like seven years ago eight years ago wow nice yeah so you didn't come in with the intention to wrestle you were like you just started refing. i didn't come in you know like i went to a show and like sure, yeah <laughs> and, like somebody was like all right well you go do it and i was like all right whatever i'll go ref and then i found out before I ever even decided to get trained that I was okay at refing. So I was like, if I'm okay at refing and like, they like what I'm doing and I can go to school, like why not give it an honest shot and see what I can do with it? You know, I was going to hood slam a lot at the time and that's why I ended up training with originally. Like, um, let's talk about hood slam actually. Cause I, I don't think many of our listeners know what that is. And it's a very cool phenomenon. Sure. Yeah. Hood slam uh, is an amalgamation of like all great things pop culture and pro wrestling and live music concert kind of vibes it's a uh, a 21 and up pro wrestling show that goes on in downtown oakland on the first friday of every month um or at least it did pre-pandemic obviously they're still kind of getting the ball rolling again but it'll be I mean, back for much of much of 2019 they were every friday i think yeah yeah, yeah. um but yeah basically it's just a uh, an adults only like kind of tongue-in-cheek uh pro wrestling show that has like burlesque and like pop culture characters you know like scorpion and sub-zero from mortal Kombat were characters on the show but then there's also all kinds of weird original characters and there's wrestling character inside jokes like the steiner brothers scott steiner and rick steiner they're the stoner brothers that kind of stuff the only one i remember is drugs bunny Drugs yeah, Drugs Bunny around? stands uh, out a lot to people. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. Is rabbit with the habit. <laughs> okay, rabbit with it. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, he's that's yeah, that's like the the character that the I mean, not to say that Hood Slam doesn't have a dearth of memorable and unique and wild characters, Serial Man, El Chupacabra, but Drugs Bunny is sure. the one that really stands out. Yeah, definitely resonates with the fans quite a bit, you know, yeah. especially since like you go home caked in his like, you know, powder. Right. <laughs> that's caked first- in his powder. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, now you got to go to show, brother. <laughs> Have I taken you to a Hood Slam yet? I've never been to Hood Slam. Oh, no. wow. Like I, I've been to Tourette's Without Regrets a bunch of times. I know that's, that's a, di- yeah, it's just the Very same venue. The same vibe. Same vibe. Yeah. I really would like to check out Hood Slam next time I'm in the Bay. And that's the first Very place cool. I ever saw you ref a match, I think. Uh, so like I was there for a while, but I, uh, I left after about a year. So yeah, we probably like had just run into each other, like right at the tail end of me being there. Cause like we were yeah. friends when I was at the bar, uh, in downtown Berkeley, I was like, uh, bartending at Kips, yeah. like while you were doing the pub quizzes and all that stuff. And I don't then know I just you recall this actually, you were huh? at the first ever trivia event that I hosted. Yeah, of course yeah. <laughs> I was <Cool>. barbacking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I was, uh, my girl anyway, was like, how do you know Odie? And I was like, actually, the first time we met was. How do I know Odie? <laughs> yeah. uh, and um, then you, then I saw, the next time I saw you, Ref, was, if I recall correctly, APW. Probably, yeah. I did APW uh, in like my third or fourth year for like a number of months. Um, that was going pretty well. But like my like main goal in wrestling was always just kind of like uh, cross off as many names as you can, but like chase WWE. So like everything was just kind of like forward motivated with that. It was like, okay, uh, what are the promotions in an area? Let me work all of those. Okay, what are the top promotions in all of those areas? Let me work all of those. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Now I've done that. I've crossed those off to the list. Let me go on to the next spot and the next spot and the next spot. And that's kind of how I just kind of wanted to like, I modeled my career after like wrestlers a lot. You know, I saw that like they would leave their schools and they would go bounce around to different schools and train there. And then they would like go to different wrestling promotions and do their thing there. But like, they never really stayed in one spot. If you want to like be successful in wrestling, you got to get out on the road and you got to mm -hmm. go hit all the places. So that's what I did. So with the wrestling that you ref, I'm curious <laughs> to know, where does it fall within the hierarchy of professional wrestling? Like Vince McMahon, WWE being the top, where sure. does the wrestling that you ref fall within that hierarchy? That depends on what, uh, when in my career we're talking about, if we're talking about like now currently, yeah. uh, I've got some like pretty nice, you know, like spoiled bookings. I, I, I like worked really hard and found my way into some places that, uh, are a little bit above my like pay grade at this like <laughs> age in wrestling, but um, they're nice. But like, uh, yeah. So at this point, like WWE would be the pinnacle and AEW would be like right below that. Uh, I've worked for other than like ROH and New Japan, pretty much everybody in the country uh, that like is somewhere to cross off your list. Like I've done impact. I've done uh, like, oh, I currently cool. work for pro wrestling gorilla. Like uh, I worked for evolve before they closed. I worked for GCW, like, so I started, you know, where everybody starts, where you're just like literally in a backyard and then, you know, you work your way up through like the flea market shows and the, uh, the like storage facility shows. And then you just kind of keep climbing and hoping the doors open and you hope not to screw up. And if people keep giving you opportunities, you do the best that you can. I've never seen wrestling at a flea market. That sounds like a <laughs> fucking rad flea market. <laughs> I did uh, like my first year when I was training. Uh, are you familiar with Concord? The city? Yeah, like Concord, oh, California. Yeah, he's from Oakland. Yeah. Too. Okay, cool. So like um, if you know where like Highway 4 is, there's a little like flea market drive-in over there, the Solano like uh, drive-in. And for your listeners that aren't from the Bay, they have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, we would do shows right out in the sun in Concord and like 105 degree, you know, heat with like a black vinyl canvas on the ring and just Yikes. like in front of nobody, you know, like it would just be like random families that like happen to be at the flea market that would just roll by. It cost like two bucks. It was great. I really cut my teeth in some interesting places my first yeah. couple of years, which everybody does, you know, I've done yeah. a show outside of a comic book convention in Lodi, California in the pouring rain uh and we had to like get trained uh, get changed in the u-haul you know <laughs> jesus but yeah that's, anyway. that's the shows that like that's i mean you're putting hair on your chest you're getting those miles like that I, show I, counts as like five shows in your experience right <laughs> <laughs> the one uh the one in concord uh, in the sun like my trainers got on the uh, the microphone once when i was getting ready to ref a match and they go referee odie brown's paying his dues in this one's folks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, anyway. So so before we get into like how refing, there's one thing that uh, two terms that we're going to use a fair amount that I would rather sure. you define than me. Could you please yeah. define the term work and the term shoot? Sure. Uh, so a work um, is when you are working together with somebody in the ring to achieve a desired outcome or result from the audience. Uh, so like, yeah, when you're trying to elicit, trying to elicit a reaction, whether it's a happy reaction, an angry reaction, a cheer, cry, boo, whatever. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's the difference between shoot, which you're uh, kind of like trying to get out of me right now. Shoot is like when yeah. something's a, a reality, basically. Um, yeah. So like if somebody in a match gets upset with one another and they start trying to actually like harm each other or impose their will on each other, they've uh, started shooting on each other, basically. Right. Um, yeah. And when you said reality, you use the hand quote marks. Uh, the hand quote. Well, I always get weird when people ask me about the, you know, the whole difference between like quote unquote fake wrestling and quote unquote real wrestling, because like, what is fake? Like the people that are in professional wrestling are extremely athletic. They work on their bodies constantly. They are physically in a ring hurting themselves. Uh, so like, I don't really appreciate the term fake very much, like predetermined, right. sure, but fake, well, not so much. So that leads me to this burning question that I have. And this is not meant to be facetious at all. Sure. I, I genuinely, I genuinely want to know how does one referee a sport in which the outcome is predetermined? Um, it's a very interesting question. Uh, I get it a lot. And honestly, the best matches, just like the best uh, stage productions or films or even improv, like comedy, whatever, right? Uh, the best ones are ones where people are doing things and reacting to them and not trying to plan things out and like have, you know, like staging and lines and things like that. Like uh, I was a, a theater major. I was in uh, stage theater for like 20 years. I did film for a while. And when I was in college studying theater, we talked a lot about how um, Uta Hagen, who's like one of the greatest acting teachers of all time, talked a lot about how like uh, acting isn't just like knowing your lines and saying them. Acting is like living in the moment truthfully and reacting to things. So a referee isn't like worried about whether or not the outcome is real or not. I'm refereeing things with real quote unquote rules in a, a way that actually makes sense based off of the input that I'm being given. Does that make sense? Or was that a really like convoluted answer? No, I don't think, I think that it's starting to make sense to me. I, I will preface the rest of this talk by saying, I know fuck all about wrestling. <laughs> Jacob sure, okay. here knows a lot about wrestling. And it's, so, it's ironic. I, I, I told you this before, but uh, I'm the direct descendant of a professional wrestler. My grandfather, right. Bert Ruby, was literally a professional wrestler and wrestling promoter. Um, and so I've heard stories about like, mm -hmm. and yeah, mm -hmm. it is it is legitimate athleticism, even though right. there's a good guy and a bad guy usually, and you know generally who's going to end up winning the match, but there's so many variables within that. Like, you know, when they're bleeding, it's real fucking blood. Right. Uh, so let me put it to you like this. You've seen a wrestling match, yes? Yeah. Okay, so you know how if uh, I grab Jacob in a headlock, 
and I drag him over onto the ropes and I shove his face onto the ropes and I drag his face back and forth. What's the referee going to do? I have no idea. Take a guess. Just like if this was a real fight and I was really refereeing them, what would I do? Um, call, I, I don't think foul is a term, but like you're abrading somebody's face on ropes. That's against right. the rules? Yes. Uh, so that's what I'm getting at is like, yes, that's against the rules. I apologize. I'm kind of setting you up because you don't really know the rules that well. But what I'm getting at is like um, whether or not he's actually trying to harm him, whether or not he's actually trying to get an advantage by, you know, dragging his eyes across the ropes or whatever, um, that physical motion is happening so I can referee it based on if it was actually happening. Does that make right. sense? Like, uh, because they really do go into the corners and hit each other in the corners and choke each other in the corners and whatever it is, I can then be receptive to that, like improvised input basically. And then I can give it back out to them. I can reciprocate my improvised input based on what they're doing. So if he goes into the corner, boom, I'm choking him, I'm choking him. Even if he's not actually choking him as the referee, I know, okay, well, the rules are he's not supposed to choke him in the corner. So I go over and I walk over and tell him to stop choking in the corner. So that actually feeds perfectly into something that I've been wondering is that sure. um, the, the rules of a wrestling match, I mean, obviously it depends on the stipulation. It depends on, yeah. like, you know, no disqualification, submissions only, et cetera, et cetera. But like, like, okay, for instance, one thing that I've noticed every time I watch a wrestling match is that whenever anyone gets up on the ropes, the referee always gestures, hey, come down. Hey, come down. You're not supposed to be up there. Sure. Has that ever worked? <laughs> I mean, technically it works every time, right? I, they do come down. So yeah, that's right. True. Yeah. Right? But like, I mean, to me, it almost implies that the referee's like, like, okay. I, I mean, I, the, the, if what I know, the, understand the rule to be is that you have a five count when they're in the corner or if they grab sure. the rope, it's a, or a, yeah, five count, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, to me, that implies that if you stay on the ropes for too long, you get disqualified. But right. but that's not, I mean, I, I doubt that sort of thing's ever enforced, right? I mean, sometimes I had, uh, again, going back to the Concord show that we were talking about, the flea market show, I had a tag team match between some guys who really didn't want to listen to me giving that five count. And I mm -hmm. did it over and over. And I got to five at least like three different times um, and like pulled them like it was two uh, heels who had a baby face, you know, two bad guys and a good guy uh, in a tag team match. And the other good guy had like, you know, been knocked off the ring or whatever. And they just had his throat over the top rope and they were just strangling him, the two of them at once. And like, I'm telling them, you know, screaming in their ear, like, hey, like, if I get to five, you guys don't stop. Like, I have to, these are the rules. Like, you gotta like stop, you know? And I'm like ripping their hands off of him, trying to break it apart and they just didn't want to listen. So eventually, yeah, after like the third time I counted five, I was just like, ring the bell, ring the bell, throw oh, it out. You this just is it. Huh? You just called it. You were just like, this is- Oh yeah, like I've, I've yeah. Uh, had to do things like that a couple of times. Like, you know, uh, I had a match where um, I was refing these two guys and uh, I'm watching the baby face go run at the heel. And uh, the heel just like drops to his knee and he low blows him Ooh. as I'm staring at them. And I'm just like, all right, I guess the match is over. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Here's, here's, here's a question because I know that um, different wrestlers have different styles for how they put a match together. Sure. Um, Macho Man Randy Savage, famously meticulous. Wrote down everything. Yeah. Yes. Uh, whereas uh, Sami Zayn versus Shinsuke Nakamura, famously yeah. completely called in the ring. Yes. So my question is, how involved is 
a referee in uh, a match being planned out, being determined? That uh, depends on the match and depends on the wrestlers and depends on the referee. Uh, Pretty much all of those questions are going to be like that, basically. Uh, It it depends on who's involved. Because like, if I am going out there with uh, two of my very best friends in the world, and we've known each other for like 10 years, and it's at a promotion that we're really comfortable with, and we can do anything we want, they'll probably talk to me about it a lot. And we'll probably go over it a lot and go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And uh, unless it's two of my really, really good close friends who can just call it in the ring, which a lot of us that like can just go out there and react do prefer that uh, because that's how you go out and react to a room and like read the energy from the crowd. Kind of like when you're doing stand up, you don't want to just go out and bulldoze through jokes and you know just kind of hope that they hit where you planned for them to hit you want to go out and be like okay what's the room feel like here's some input okay they reacted this way well let's see what happens if we do this oh they reacted this way now let's do this now let's do this and build and build and build and then boom big payoff okay cool we've got them you know like uh, it all depends how much actual input on planning a match do i have though very 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 little um if so any, if, you're, if you're in a scenario where, uh, so A versus B, if A is supposed to win per the, the predetermined outcome, sure. how, how often does something happen in which B wins? Do you know what I mean? Uh, almost never. Okay. Uh, that's a big deal when something like that happens. And that usually is someone made a pretty big mistake. Because okay. it, it's what I, again, this is like, this is part of why I wanted to have you on the show because this is a question I've always yeah. wanted to ask a rep. Uh, sure. I mean, you're supposed to call it as a shoot. Right. Yeah. So like, and there've been famous matches. I recently watched a YouTube of like, here's 10 times the guy who won who wasn't supposed to win. Sure. Because somebody <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like, I mean, has Are you that- asking me, have I shot a three count on somebody before? I, well, that, that wasn't, I was just wondering like how that, yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, I am wondering. Yeah, yeah, I have. And uh, I've actually been uh, mistaken uh, while shooting a three count on somebody before. Like it, we do so many matches. There's so many different variables to a match. So many different variations of ways that things can go. Mm-hmm. You know, we do this, like the wrestlers themselves will probably have at least between one to three matches every weekend forever. Mm-hmm until they decide to stop if they're good and if they're really putting everything that they can into it the refs we're probably going to have at least three matches a show mm-hmm. uh and if we can one to three shows a weekend so i'm doing potentially like nine matches in a weekend so like you're gonna get every variation of what could happen is gonna happen at some point <laughs> you know what i mean there's just yeah. so much repetition i'm thinking of jazz actually because Jazz has a structure and like yeah, there is a like point jazz. at which the song ends, but there's so much improvisation and so much variability yeah. within that structure. Yeah. It's very much like jazz. It's very much like actual like on stage improv or I actually really like I have very limited experience with doing stand up comedy. I had started doing it right before I started training and it was like going okay, but I have very extensive theater background. So like I really like to compare uh professional wrestling to stand-up comedy because like i guess it's more like improv because you're not doing the same match every night yeah as opposed to like doing the same jokes every night but anyway you get what i'm saying like reading a room 
feeling what's supposed to happen you know like having the reaction to like things that actually happened if this guy punches this guy in the face and it actually hurts and it actually makes a big pop and the audience really reacts to it you probably shouldn't run over the reaction and just go flying into the next thing you know mm-hmm. anyway pause for that cool stare down that everybody pops for yeah, yeah. uh my my I'll, I'll share a quick anecdote my dad uh, used to be a wrestling announcer for uh, for his dad's matches. Uh, How did you not get involved in pro wrestling? Uh, my grandfather died years before I was born. Okay, gotcha. he died when my dad, dad was nineteen. Never wanted to be in, involved in it, right? My dad wasn't an athlete, so like I, I just kind of heard. But there is uh, a, a story about a man named Leapin Larry Shane. I don't know if if you know if you've heard okay. of him. But he was bleeding profusely from his forehead during a match. And there was yeah. one heckler that was just like, hey, this is bullshit. This isn't real. And so Leap and Larry Shane broke character, got out of the ring, uh, put his fingers <laughs> in his own blood and smeared his blood. Yes. His yes. <laughs> like, what a fucking gangster move. Yeah, right. I mean, talk about like dealing with your hecklers the right way. <laughs> uh, I was going to say that's a pretty good segue to explain like how wrestling actually did deal with hecklers back in the day, back before, um, you know, the the curtain was pulled back and Vince, you know, did the whole like, oh, well, it's sports entertainment kind of thing. Like, uh, do you guys know anything about the origins of professional wrestling? I, I do, but I'd rather hear your version. Sure. So back in the day, uh, professional wrestling was much like um, Strongman or like the Bearded Lady or like Sideshow kind of stuff. It was an act at a carnival. Um, So there would be a bunch of different matches that they would put on. But at some point throughout the card, uh, they would have a uh, a shooter, as we like to call it, or a real wrestler. Right. That would come out and the uh, promoter or ringleader or whoever it was that was running the show would challenge any man that thought that he was tough enough in the audience to come put this wrestler on his back to come get into the ring and do your thing. Um, And inevitably there would always be one drunk, very large fellow who would come in and he would get rolled up like a pretzel. And uh, that was something that they would do strategically in every town because when one person does that to some random out of the crowd, it makes everybody else that's involved with the production seem like they could do the same thing even if they can't. Uh, then there was like um, the Goldust trio and I'm blanking on the guy's name who like came up with the idea of like, what if we had like finishing moves and like mm-hmm. sto- oh, long arcing stories? Yeah, that sort of, and this is, we're talking like 1910s? Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, professional wrestling itself pre uh, originates in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. The oldest company that I know of is like, I think it's, is it CMLL or AAA that's like over a hundred plus years old or something like that? If I had to guess, I'd say CMLL, which is uh, based in Mexico for our listeners. What does that stand for? Uh, Something in Spanish. I don't know. Okay. I mean, it's basically like the WWE of Lucha Libre that uh, exists down in Mexico. Cause like a lot of people are unaware that this, you may find interesting actually, since you don't really know too much about like international pro wrestling. Um, There are varying levels of like how, uh, popular professional wrestling is in different countries around the world. Um, so the hot spots, um, the biggest place to go for professional wrestling will always be the United States, at least for now. Uh, but then the other really big hitters are like uh, Mexico is huge. Japan is absolutely mega huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like infamous and legendary if you can get a tour to go to Japan and like work there. 
Um, Canada is very huge, uh, the United Kingdom. And then it's kind of branching out from those kind of like big global hubs uh, now that like it's expanding with the internet and streaming services and stuff like that. So like we're seeing hubs start in like mainland Europe in like, you know, Germany and the, uh, the Scandinavian like Nordic, you know, um, peninsulas and then over in China and in South America and Chile, like I have friends uh, in Chile from Five Luchas who like they're, you know, just getting their promotions started and, you know, things are really cool. Uh, wrestling's expanding a lot right now. Anyway, a random tangent. No, it's it's great. It's it's very cool because now very relevant. we're seeing all these new like types of wrestling crop up because there's places. Yeah. Where, I mean, yeah, everyone's sort of riffing on everybody else. That's just that's just art. But like, sure. Um, like the seeing like, I mean, isn't great Kali running like the biggest promotion in India right now? Yeah. So he's been doing that for like a, a number of years, like 10, 15 years, something like that. But he has a show that he puts on every year called Rinka King that's in front of like millions of people. Like he puts on a very, very, very big elaborate show and they treat him like he's an emperor when he goes driving mm -hmm. through the streets and stuff like that. He's a big deal. Uh, but there's also like you were saying, like random, like weird kind of wrestling, quote unquote weird um there's like peruvian ladies now who like wrestle in like uh they almost look like church dresses it's weird mm. that are like hot pink or like bright yellow or like these really weird like vibrant colors right um but then there's also like south uh south african like um wrestling that's just on like like a cardboard box outside or there's korean wrestling that's like on a a wrestling mat in an apartment that's like big enough for like four people to stand shoulder to shoulder and everybody just sits like cross-legged and watches them do it like i've seen it it's it's wild that's wild yeah wrestling's getting all over the place and people are you know having their effects and their influences on it and it uh, definitely breeds some interesting stuff do you think would you say that wrestling is more of a sport or a more of a performance art uh it depends on who's doing it um yeah. some people lean very much more so into the athleticism of professional wrestling and that's where you'll see what's really popular these days with a lot of like uh gymnastics wrestling i think is uh, a fair term to use and some people lean more towards the gymnastics side of it and some people lean more towards the wrestling side of it there's a big um dichotomy in wrestling between whether people should like lean more towards the like professional wrestling storytelling you know like good guy bad guy kind of stuff and whether or not they should lean more towards the okay this is what people are physically capable of so let's see what they can do with each other uh but storyline be damned kind of yeah thing. there was um, the uh the ricochet will osprey match that yeah really that's split. kind of the like number one contender when it comes yeah. to that conversation um it, it you should look at like sometime. a, you probably a really like from it. a marvel movie to be honest like it was yeah. these guys doing incredible flips and superhero poses and yeah, a, bunch yeah, of yeah. People, a bunch of old school guys hated it yeah uh because basically like they're incredibly gifted athletes but uh the match that they put on was a lot of very aerialist gymnastic combinations that didn't make sense to older wrestlers because they didn't think it was an effective way to have a fight um so there's a lot of argument over that basically yeah it's He's very like, fun so to watch <laughs> I, I liked it <laughs> uh, i really liked it too because i came into pro wrestling with a very open mind and i like all the genres of pro wrestling i'm really into deathmatch i'm really into comedy uh i'm really into aerialist gymnastic 
wrestling, but I'm also into like Southern, you know, like Memphis style punch kick pro wrestling kind of mm-hmm. stuff. You know, like I just like wrestling. I want to watch all of it. Yeah. I mean, as much as I enjoyed the Ricochet Will Ospreay match, if that was the whole show, I don't think I would have enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, and that like kind of is a good segue into like how cards uh like a card is the uh the set show that you have on you know any given night right it's like a a a song list um for like the wrestling matches that you're gonna watch yeah um but yeah a good card is structured in a way that you don't have too much of that going one after the other after the other after the other if you start a show with a banger singles match like a Will Ospreay and a Ricochet, you probably shouldn't follow it with Zack Sabre Jr. and TJP. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, you should probably go on to like a tag team match or a comedy or something like that, you know, whatever it is. This yeah. is really interesting to me that there are all these subgenres within Yeah. Because like, of course there are, because like it is a sport and a performance art simultaneously. So of course they're going to be, you know, like when you're saying like, yeah, I'm really into like deathcore or whatever, whatever he's, not deathcore, <laughs> but like, you're not far off. Yeah. <laughs> so what, do you, would you ascribe a genre to the wrestling that you ref or are you all over the place? Uh, I am, my bread and butter is uh, straight up American style TV wrestling. That's what my best refing comes out of. That's what my intention was to do like as a career. Um, I, do best when everybody is working together following the rules you know trying to put on a good solid like quality product with each other right um but i am a very like traveled experienced uh well not very experienced i'm i'm still very new i'm only like seven years in um but you get what i'm saying like i've done a lot of different like variations of matches i've done all kinds of different styles and sub genres and things like that because like I wanted to experience everything that wrestling has to offer for me. So like uh, I've said yes to not everything, but pretty much everything. I mean, may, may I ask what sort of matches you would not be like, what have you said? I mean, unless you don't want to. Oh, no, no. I mean, the only, uh, you know, it's entertainment. So like things get weird, just like anywhere else. Like I, I would say no to anything that I felt was like inappropriate. Oh. Um, and then for the most part, like the only thing that I really am like not that interested in is what we were talking about, the deathmatch wrestling. Um, and that, like, I've participated in it. And deathmatch wrestling is literally wrestling with, like, barbed wire and thumbtacks and glass and light tubes and fire and razor blades and hypodermic needles and knives. Yeah, yeah, cactus and, like, scissors sticking through boards that they just swing at each other. Like, it's... It's bad. It's train wreck wrestling. Uh, but there are people who are really, really good at it. And I really like watching them do it. And I'm willing under the right circumstances to participate. Like uh, there was a GCW show in LA where like none of the other refs could make it. And uh, the main event was like Nick Gage, GCW world title defense. And they're like, "Great, you're the only ref that's going to be there. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I better... <laughs> do this death match because I can't exactly say no. <laughs> I mean, if I were to watch that kind of thing, I would also want to watch the best version of that thing. Yeah. Like yeah, am- absolutely. Amateur death match. That doesn't sound like very fun. Those are some of the best train wrecks to watch, though. Like, you know, <laughs> if you're uh, not watching it live, because then you're a little bit too worried about people's safety. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, like um, the, that's my the thing. 
primal, like the gladiatorial element to that is is still very real even <laughs> today. Yes, yes, very much. Uh, but then I'm like a really hardcore empath. I don't know if you guys like get what that means, but like I, 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 yeah, like I empathize with like other people's pain when they're in pain. And then in addition to that, I've been involved in food service for so long that like, I'm not squeamish about blood, but like, I don't want to touch it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, like deathmatch was just kind of like a big, nice present with a bow on top of like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, yeah under the right circumstances anyway uh so what are your favorite types of you said like traditional american tv wrestling what are some of your other favorite like stipulations or match types to call um i'm dying for an iron man match personally Ooh. right now uh so mike uh, traditional match um for the most part don't really have time limits but like back in the day it was usually like a five a ten a 20 minute or like if it was the main event it was a 60 minute time limit right um so there's a type of match uh, most matches end in a pinfall, a submission. They can end in a countout on the outside or a disqualification, right? Or if somebody just says, I give up, like they can just stop. Um, but anyway, there's a type of match called an Ironman match that is a preset 60 minutes, bell to bell. And you can get as many pinfalls, submissions, disqualifications, whatever they are, each fall uh, is one point. And you have to try and get as many points as you can in the 60 minutes. So some Ironman matches have famously gone like no falls at all. And they went the whole 60 minutes and no one got the upper hand. And sometimes they'll do like, you know, five minutes extra and they still don't get the upper hand or maybe somebody sneaks a mm -hmm. pinfall or like whatever it is. But then there's also the other side of the coin where like you can ring the bell and then the heel grabs a chair and cracks the baby face in the face with it immediately and gets a disqualification fall against him right so the baby face is up by one point but then the heel has knocked out the baby face so then he gets a pinfall and they're immediately tied and he has an advantage and builds off of that boom 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 boom, boom. or any variation therein because it's a 60 minute match and you can do whatever you want is iron man specifically uh how do i word this generally other genres of wrestling don't use points right it's just like, um, the, it like you count okay uh there are many many different kinds of matches many like dozens and dozens uh but as far as an actual point system um there's a two out of three falls match where they keep points um which is pretty self-explanatory whoever gets you know two pinfalls or two submissions or whatever it is one of each yeah uh is the one that ends up winning or there's also uh jacob you might not have heard of this one but i'll be impressed if you have mm. you ever heard of a british rounds match Damn it. No, I haven't. All right, sweet. I'm going to teach you about something pretty cool. cool. You'll like this a lot. Uh, so British rounds match. It's very famous from like the 60s and 70s in the UK. Uh, they had a company back then, a TV show called World of Sport. And if you ever want to watch some really nerdy scientific technical wrestling, you should check out World of Sport. Really good stuff. My personal favorite. But anyway, right. uh, a British rounds match is uh, like six rounds of three minutes and the first person to get either two pinfalls, two submissions, or a knockout is the winner. Hmm. And then uh, you can also get um, the rules are really strict. It's kind of like uh, what predated the pure rules match. Um, you're not supposed to use closed fists. You're not supposed to throw them over the top rope. Obviously, nothing below the belt or anything like that. 
Um, anytime you make some kind of infraction, uh, they can actually give you what's called a public warning, which is kind of like the precursor to you're disqualified. Like a yellow card, kind of. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the other thing that I really like about it is um, the knockout is something that's enforced throughout the entirety of the match. Anytime anyone is laying on the ground for any amount of time, the ref starts counting to 10. Like boxing. So keeps the momentum going. That's cool. So yeah, anyway, there's the answer is yes. That was a very long-winded answer to yes, there are other match types that have points. But not many. It's not super common. Most stuff ends when it ends. Yeah, the, well, I mean, there's, there's stipulations on their styles. Like I, Ironman matches, like here's how you win. Them. Like, uh, like for instance, ladder match or battle royal. I mean, there's so many different. Have, uh, have you called a battle royal? Is that exciting? Of course. Yeah. Is that what? Is that exciting? Like compared to, no. you know. No. Oh, it's not? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, put yourself in my shoes uh, and think about this for a last man standing match too, or a ladder match. Sure. Uh, if we're in a singles match, I'm enforcing all the rules. I'm refing. I'm pins, whatever, 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 right? I'm all over the place. If I'm in a battle royal, I'm standing outside and telling people to go to the back. <laughs> that's that's yeah, it. That's true. If I'm yeah. in a ladder match, I'm standing outside and just hoping nobody gets hurt. Because a ladder match uh, is usually something's hung above a la uh, above the ring. You get a ladder into the ring. You set it up. You climb the ladder. You grab the thing from above the ring, and then you're the winner. Um, and there's no rules at all. So, like, I don't have to do any pinfalls or submissions or any enforce any rules or anything. I just got to be out there and make sure nobody dies. Where I thought you were going with that was one guy climbs up the ladder and then <laughs> jumps on the other guy. That is generally a very common thing that happens in those matches. That does happen, too. Yeah. Right. Ladder. I mean, I know they I know they're not fun to call, but I love me a ladder match. Oh, my God. Oh, I love ladder matches. And yeah. I like battle royals from the audience perspective a lot. Right. Uh, like, I love the Royal Rumble. It's a lot of fun. It's the best. Uh, yeah. It's my favorite paper. Last Man no Standing, question. same thing. Like, I'm not enforcing any rules. I'm just almost counting to 10 for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, a last Man to 10 for, Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, Last Man Standing matches, whoever can knock their opponent out, quote unquote, uh, for a count of 10 wins the match. Mm -hmm. And so just, when you say knockout, I know you were, you were using quotes for that one. It's not literally being knocked unconscious. It's as literally as a boxing match is. So, like, if somebody gets knocked over, you start the count. If they don't make mm -hmm. it to their feet, they lose. Yeah, so the rule, last man standing match, if, if you get on your feet before the ref counts to 10, and it's not 10 seconds, it's like a more drawn out, but then, right. then you lose. But, like, there have been last man standing matches where somebody will, like, tape them to the ground or whatever. And that right, happens. or, yeah. like, when uh, they, like, bury the big show with, like, the announce desk or something like that. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thinking back to the um, stories I've heard from my grandfather's day, like it, it was always theatrical to an extent. Like even back then sure. in the forties, there was a good guy and bad guy, but the injuries were very real. Like, you know, I yeah. was talking about leaping Larry Shane and his bloody forehead and everything. And um, I, I know at least one thing about my grandfather, which he, uh, was the he had a bunch of uh, ring names, one of which was the Megyar Hercules, which means Hungarian Hercules. Okay, um, cool. He was the, the Jewish sensational light heavyweight. He was uh, the man with the educated toes because he would pick <laughs> up chairs with his toes awesome. and use them as weaponry. That's cool. He, <laughs> yeah, he would do some pretty gnarly shit. Very cool. Um, 
so like even back before WWE or WWF or all that stuff, there were dudes throwing chairs at each other just yeah, like that back their, in the day. I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone throw a chair with their feet. That is <laughs> so don't quote me on that. I know he would like grab guys' noses with his toes. That's gnarly and i i know he did some shit he was an insanely strong person sure like in in real life there's there's two more things that i really want to touch on um could you please tell us about the origins of zebra talk sure yeah absolutely um so zebra talk is an organization that i put together um it's multifaceted at this point uh and it's kind of a little bit of a lengthy explanation so Buckle up. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It started out originally as uh, I wanted to know who the other referees in my area were, um, or just my the other referees in general, who they were. Uh, so I started a group on Facebook, um, and I invited all the referees that I knew. I was like two years into wrestling, so it was only like twenty five people, um, and I was just like, "Hey, this is somewhere where uh, you know, like none of us." have trainers at the schools that we go to. Like I wasn't trained by a referee. I was trained by wrestlers how to do wrestling. And then when the wrestling matches started, I refereed and I taught myself how to referee. And that's how most referees learn how to ref. Um, So I was like, I wanna make a place where we can figure out who we all are, where we can talk about things uh, to try and get better and improve on it. You know, like if we need to ask like, you know, uh, for booking inquiries or, you know, like, um, does anybody need a ref on blah, 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 day, whatever. We can make this our little network for it, right? And it's called Zebra Talk. Um, and I made it really, like, not absentmindedly, but just kind of was like, oh, I'll just throw this together and it'll just be a thing that we have. Um, I have another group that, uh, same kind of intention, uh, called Comic Talk, where I just, like, made a group on Facebook and all my like comic book friendly nerdy friends I just threw them in there and I was like here this is something for us to like exchange trailers uh yeah it didn't take off at all but uh, zebra talk I told everybody to invite every ref that they know whether it was somebody that started training yesterday or whether it was Earl Hebner um if they want to be in the group and they've refed they can be in the group and overnight it went from 30 people to 250 people Wow. And then it just kept going and kept going and kept growing and kept growing. Um, And yeah, people just really, really like clicked with it. Like having someone like Rick Knox, who I look up to a lot, tell me that, you know, he wished that it was a thing when he was, you know, coming up in wrestling uh, is like a really, really big compliment because like there are so many people in there now, like, let me stop getting ahead of myself. It's been four years now. Um, and we have 1100 members. Uh, I'm confident that like just about every referee that like exists is in it. Um, we've got people from WWE all the way down to literally people who started yesterday. We've got you know, like the Hebners are in there, like uh, wow. you know, Jimmy Corderas is in there, like Charles Robinson is in there, Aubrey's in there, you know, Knox and Bryce and all the Impact people, all the ROH people. But then, you know, like we've got New Japan people in there. And then we've got random dudes from like, there's a guy from South Africa in there. My friend uh, Ivan Navarro from Chile is in there, you know, like um, it shot out into the world and just expanded and expanded and expanded. And like, I kind of made it my personal like passion project in wrestling to you know search out like every 
referee that I could. Every time I saw a new school or promotion or something like that, I'd figure out who the referees were and try and get them involved. Um, and then eventually it turned into like such a community that the guys said that they wanted shirts. Um, so I made the first shirt and uh, I made like, I don't know, like 75 or hundred of them or something like that. And they sold like that. Um, and and you're, it was you're definitely literally shirts. This that's not covert huh? for something like like <laughs> act, like shirts, shirts, shirts like apparel like okay. this is uh so it's what I'm getting at is it's turned into a whole brand. Oh, okay, uh, so you're wearing a zebra talk uh jacket. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I'm yeah. wearing one of our tracksuit jackets right now. Um, it went from one shirt, which sold very well, to sweaters, which also sold sold very well, to multiple shirts multiple sweaters we've got hats we've got covid masks we've got these track suits we've got two different kinds of track suits we've got uh hard enamel pins um it's all on prowrestlingtees.com cheap cheap plug uh prowrestlingtees.com backslash zebra talk um but the best part about it is that uh like two years ago maybe three years ago something like that um i was traveling all over the country um and doing a bunch of different referee stuff and uh, like one of the best pieces of advice I had gotten was from somebody who's refing in NXT right now, Tom Caster. He had talked about how like a lot of people, if you're a good referee, are going to be willing to use you all over the world, but they're never going to pay for you to get there. Hmm. So it's up to you to decide whether or not you're going to stop yourself from getting there um, and taking the opportunity based on like whether or not you're going to have to pay for the trip to get there. Um, so I took that as, you know, like whatever it costs, I'll make it back whenever, you know, like my wrestling career takes off anyway. Right. The point I'm getting at is I was traveling around so much that I was like, man, this is really expensive. None of these promoters are paying for these refs to get anywhere. Um, why don't I do something about it? Mm -hmm. So all of the proceeds from Zebra Talk, actually, uh, I turned into a charity, a nonprofit uh, called the Zebra Talk Fund. And once a month, I actually pay for different referees to travel wherever it is that they're going to go, as long as it's outside of their like home area, uh, so that they'll go expand their knowledge with new people and bring back knowledge to their area. Try and like keep the uh, keep the lines blurring and keep people traveling and keep people growing and getting to know people and stuff like that. Um, that so is that's so cool. Thanks. <laughs> I, like I mean, you lot. mentioned that you know you were just starting out and I know you were probably uh, exaggerating, but I mean, it seems like you're really ingrained in this community now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, the fact that you could walk up to basically any ref in the world and be like, Oh, I started zebra talk. And they'll be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, of course. That's incredible. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> Unless they yeah. know, they know before you even get there that you're the guy. I was so. trying to find a non rude way to say that, but yeah. <laughs> they already know. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I've made a point. I'm also really strategic in my own social media, um, especially because like we're not supposed to make ourselves characters that draw attention away from the wrestlers. So I've always tried to find little ways to like make myself known without making myself obnoxious and pull attention. Uh, and one of the best ways that I did that was I made sure that I was the only admin in Zebra Talk, and mm. I added everybody who was ever added to Zebra Talk. Um, so they all know who I am. They all know me as the founder and the creator and everything. And I actually have to reiterate every so often how young I am in wrestling hmm. uh, because they'll come and like ask me questions and things like that. And I'm like, 
I appreciate it. And I'll try to give you feedback if you really want it. But like Rick Knox is 20 years in and he's like two clicks that way. So go find him. Okay. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah. I know you have a podcast of your own. Would you like to plug that here? Yeah. So that's the most recent uh, iteration of the Zebra Talk name is, uh, you know, obviously Zebra Talk sounds like a podcast. Everybody's been telling me since I created it that it sounds like a podcast and have asked me before it even existed, like how they could listen to the podcast. So eventually I was like, okay, I think I need to make this a podcast. <laughs> um, so yes, Zebra Talk is on Spotify and iTunes and Stitcher and YouTube. And uh, we have a weekly uh, autobiographical uh, podcast where I sit down with a referee for an hour and uh, they talk to me about who they are and where they're from and how they got involved in wrestling and what they've done and where they're going and all kinds of stuff. And I've got folks that uh, I know really, really well who've been refing for a number of years in close proximity to me. I've got like Brian Hebner's on there, Aubrey's on there, uh, Jimmy Corderas just recently was on there. I've got all the old ECW referees are on there. And I'm just kind of like, I have a, a list of like 50 names. I'm on my 26th episode and I still have another 50 names that I'm crossing off. And I just kind of keep uh, adding to it. Like I've got 1100 members of Zebra Talk. So like, I'm not hurting for guests anytime soon, oh, you know? know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what I'm doing uh, with a lot of my time lately, working on that. Uh, and I, I, have one, I have one more question, and this is not at all related to wrestling, at least as far as I sure. know. You are our first guest to ever appear in a Marvel movie. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it, I, I, I would love to know about your appearance that for me was very distracting personally. You were in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yes. yes. What I was, was that like? How'd that happen? Uh, it was a lot of fun um, for anybody who's unfamiliar. Ant-Man and the Wasp, the sequel to the original Ant-Man movie, part of the MCU. Uh, yeah, it was based in San Francisco. And at the time I was still living in the San Francisco area. And like I said, I'm a theater major that transitioned into film acting after college. And yeah, I was really like making my way through the Bay Area film scene and just kind of doing a bunch of commercials and TV shows and doing a lot of extra work and uh, a booking came up and it was to do background extra work for Ant-Man of the Wasp because every year they do a couple of different like major features, you know, in the Bay Area. Um, you know, they did Venom. They just did uh, the Matrix 4 not too long ago. They did the original Matrixes there as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I got the booking. I did like two weeks of filming with them where I'm like, all kinds of other scenes just oh, in like cool. other background stuff and uh then one day came up and uh they had just asked like a small group of us to come through and it was this day that we were all going out onto a boat and I'm sure you know what I mean by how lucky I was for this but like I, I got union pay for the day like oh, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah like I got uh overtime like they fed us on the boat like it was great um but it was honestly like really, really just um, a lot of my career in theater and film and in wrestling have been like really dumb luck and bold like steps and chances and just hoping that it will go well and asking for forgiveness later and like things mm -hmm. kind of panning out, thankfully, because uh, when they set us up on the boat, 
Um, for anybody who hasn't seen it, which is probably most of these people because you're just figuring out who I am, right at the end of Ant-Man, uh, he turns into giant man. He's like 50 feet tall. He goes into the bay and he chases the bad guy uh, onto this whale watching boat. And uh, he like stands 50 feet tall and the whale watching host is like talking on his microphone, making jokes. And I'm standing right next to him. And the two of us are literally the only people on screen. Uh, and we're both like, you know, as big as the screen are. So like for somebody like myself, who I had no idea how much or how little I was going to be in it, that was a pretty amazing uh, situation to be, <laughs> to yes. like be in the theater with my family and like see that pop up. <laughs> um, yeah, my reaction was, oh, hey, it's Tim Heidecker. Wait a minute. That's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I got really lucky. The, the technical director took me up to the roof where we we're going to be shooting. And if you look on the far left of the screen, there's actually like a, uh, a little like room where the person at the helm can like steer the ship. Um, and it's encased in glass, there's windows, there's doors, there's walls. Uh, and guess what? That's not very conducive for being seen on camera. <laughs> yeah. um, so he put me in there at the beginning of the morning mm -hmm. uh, and like staged me where he wanted me and everything. And then he left and I like to take chances sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they pay off. Um, so nice. I was wow. getting some air uh, and the um, director of photography or whoever it was started staging the scene. Um, and he actually like just, you know, didn't know where the technical director had put me because, you know, like, as they say in Count of Monte Cristo, neglect sometimes is your ally. <laughs> uh, he had no idea where I was supposed to be, but he saw that I was there and he was like, okay, we'll do this when this happens. So he'd given me blocking, right? So then when the technical director comes up like two hours later, after we've been running through this blocking for two hours and getting ready for the shot, he comes up to me and he goes, what the hell? I put you in the boathouse. What are you doing out here? And I go, oh, well, the director of photography gave me blocking without really filling in any of the details <laughs> and the technical director goes did you give him blocking and he's like yeah he's been doing it for like two hours and he's like fine <laughs> uh so yeah i just kind of got lucky <laughs> yeah the uh your act of defiance worked out well for you that's awesome and for that's the film yeah, that's kind of been most of my life is like taking chances and hoping that it works out. That was what happened with wrestling, happened with film, happened with college, honestly. But yeah, anyway. Yeah, sorry, our, uh, we're about to wrap up. Our, our delivery just got here. Um, that's what Jacob was doing. Sorry, he wasn't being extremely <laughs> rude. Yeah, our food I mean, he was being extremely rude. <laughs> It'll never happen again on this episode. There's always one host when there's uh, co-hosts on a podcast that like is the serious one that like is just like just so upset with how unprofessional the goofy one is in a podcast situation. I love it. I'm the serious <laughs> one, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Mike with his uh, Bojangles, his scallion. All right. Uh, I, I all right. rule with an iron fist. Right. Uh, well, this has been great. This has been incredibly informative. And uh, once again, all listeners, uh, if you'd like to know more about the life of a referee, many lives of many referees, Zebra Talk is the podcast. Zebra Talk is the podcast. You can yeah. find it, like I said, on Spotify, 
iTunes, which I think we're calling Apple Podcasts now, but you know, I'm stuck in like 2005 or something. It'll never, it'll never stick. It'll be <laughs> too many people are calling it iTunes. Right. We've got Stitcher. We've got YouTube. You can find it all at the Zebra Talk Podcast. Uh, we're also on all the socials, Zebra Talk One Two Three. I'm on the Instas and the Twitters and all that stuff as Odie One Kenobi. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks so much. Thank you for your time. Good to talk to you. See you, dude. Thanks a lot. Appreciate Peace. it. So that was our interview with Robert Odie Brown uh, with three special moments. Uh, I wonder if you spotted all of them. At one point, I took my dog out. At one point, my wife came home. And at one point, our food delivery arrived. Three, that's the triple. Yeah. In a podcast. That's a turkey right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for uh, listening to that episode and to my life happening all around you. Yeah. Yeah. If we really get intimate in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we just let life happen. Like while we were recording the intro, your dog started throwing up a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And I, I just kept talking. Like I knew it was happening, but I was like, he's fine. <laughs> he, and it was, just, it was just dry heaves, which is bad, uh, which is bad. But he's fed now. We're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't neglect your dog or stuff. No, no. He's a very happy pup. I think so. He just wasn't happy in that moment. Yeah. He's, you know, dog. I feel like dogs don't have bad days. Dogs have like bad minutes and then everything's great again. Right. I mean, dogs rally so quickly from throwing up. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like they'll just, they'll puke and then they'll be like, okay, you can eat that? <laughs> Dude, we were at the dog park and a friend of Ziggy's, they were playing their wrestling. The friend walks away, pukes, comes right back. Yeah. Yeah. Much like, uh, how often does that happen in professional wrestling? (laughs) I have never heard of anyone throwing up in the ring. I'm sure it's happened. I've just never heard of it. I have heard of people pooping themselves in the ring. Oh, that's that's worse. Yeah. Really? You think that's worse? Yeah. I mean, they're wearing pants, so the poop is like in there. It's still worse. Because like, if somebody threw up in the ring, that would be justifiable. You know, because like sometimes when you work out super hard or like, you know, when your body undergoes trauma, like you can have that response. You can yeah. puke. I mean, the, the, the urban the urban legend, I listened to this interview and this was a number of years ago that I heard this. But um, the big show, seven foot one, the largest, the world's largest athlete, probably not anymore. Um, at least that's how he was built. Larger than Shaq? I think, well, I, uh, he's, he's quite a bit wider than Shaq. Okay. So I think in terms of just mass, Got yeah, it. the world's largest athlete. Um, that's how he was built. Uh, real name Paul White um, was wrestling Brock Lesnar, who is one of the most intimidating men in the sport. He still wrestles for WWE, uh, and um, the Big Show was having feel, not feeling super great. Uh, took a suplex from Brock Lesnar, pooped himself. Took a what? A suplex. That's where um, they th- a suplex is a move where they pick you up and throw you over. There's oh, I, I thought you were talking about a type of soup. <laughs> <laughs> Suplex. Okay, got it. A suplex. That's when you get 10 kinds of soup and you have to drink all of them. <laughs> it's like a Googleplex, but for soup. Right, that's what... <laughs> uh, he takes a suplex, uh, um, poops himself, and then in a, in a moment where they... Because there's often like verbal communication happening between the wrestlers, says, I, I think this is a direct quote, I pooped myself, let's go home. Let's go home, meaning let's finish the match. That's, okay. that's, that's the slang term. Like, let's not... let's. It doesn't mean let's go back to the house and talk about this. Let's go home. Let's get out of here. Um, 
So then Brock laughed, performed his finisher, pinned the Big Show, and then when they get backstage, Vince Command's like, "What the hell? You guys are supposed to go longer." And Big Show's like, "I put myself." Vince is like, "For sure, uh, <laughs> for sure, man. What are you gonna do? It's all good." <laughs> yeah, the, the, a little bit tangential, but somewhat relevant. Have I ever told you about the time that I learned what unconditional love was? Oh my god! <laughs> so we, okay. we went to preschool together at we the did. JCC. There was one day where I was hanging out by the bunny cages. You remember the bunny cages? I don't. There's, there's, yeah, there's a cage near the playground with a couple little rabbits. Oh, and I was bunny. Like, yeah. I thought you said buddy cages where the two people who aren't friends go in the cage and they don't leave until you're buddies. Great idea for a reality show. But no, yeah. I, I, was, I was near the rabbit cages and I, uh, I shit my pants <laughs> because I was three and I was, you know, I, I shit my pants. Right. Um, and I didn't have a change of clothes, and my mom had to pick me up. Mm-hmm. And I saw my mom approaching like she had to leave work from San Francisco. She was clearly very annoyed at the situation. Sure. And so she took me home and, mm-hmm. like, you know, helps clean me up and everything. And I was like, Mom, do you still love me? And she said, oh, of course I still love you. Why would, why would you say that? And I, I put the piece together like, oh, okay, so I can shit my pants, and she can be... <laughs> annoyed i can shit my pants wherever i want right but she's still gonna love me and so like that's i didn't label it as unconditional love but that's when i really realized like oh okay it's it's okay if you if you shit your pants sometime yeah yeah and i haven't done it very many times since i'd like to think that that's similar to the relationship between brock lesnar and the big show yeah so the big show is the mom in this oh no the big big show is the the one you're the big show and your mom is brock lesnar (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Later, you're going to Google Brock Lesnar and be like, eh, no, no, that's fucking rude. This guy looks like my mom. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Eileen. That's the meanest thing I've ever said about you. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for listening to another episode of Hella Interesting People. Um, if you have not already done so, please follow us wherever you get your podcast so you will not miss a single episode of our incredible and diverse and unique interview style. Um, and yeah, uh, leave us ratings and reviews. We love to hear what you guys think about the show. And if there's a particular type of person you'd like to speak to, let us know and we will do our best to seek one of them out, find someone that we know that we have a connection to that we can speak to. Uh, we would love to hear your ideas. We have got a lot of people on the list that we are checking off. But uh, yeah, if you have any thoughts, we'd love to hear it. Leave ratings and reviews. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. See you next time. <laughs>